Hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of the Crowd Noise Podcast. I am your host, Stephen Martinez. Uh, date today is, what the heck, what is the date today actually? October 10th, 2019. And a day that will forever live in infamy. For me personally, this has nothing to do with really anything sports related. Uh, but I am currently having the worst 24-hour stretch of my entire existence uh, on this planet. One of the worst days of my life, quite frankly. Last night, you have the Dodgers meltdown. I mean, utter implosion on national TV. And best believe we're getting into that. We're actually leading off the show with that because I have a lot to say about the Los Angeles Dodgers. Um, have not, the time now is 2.30 local time, uh, currently recording. I have not eaten today, so, yeah, starving? My, my already slender frame is withering away before my very eyes. Like, I'm disappearing from physical existence already, and, uh, and, and I'm already pretty slim, you know, if if I do say so myself, and I have not eaten, so that's not great. Got a haircut today. Went to go get my haircut. Got up early, thinking, all right, today's gonna be a good day. Had a rough night. You know, that's life. You gotta just take, you know, life one day at a time. You're gonna have good days and bad days. It's gonna happen. Sometimes it's completely out of your control, as was the Los Angeles Dodgers in the NLDS game five. Out of my control. I had nothing to do with it. it sucks. Picked them to win the World Series, and they were embarrassed on national TV. It happens. So I got up this morning, not feeling great already, going to get a haircut. And I will say this, the person who does my hair is a friend, a friend. Uh, I'm not, I'm going to use the proper pronouns here so as to not give away their identity. Definitely not going to say their name. Um, And I, I was excited to go get my haircut today, walk in place is empty. I walk in, sit down immediately. There's no wait. And I leave looking like, um, you might have to, this might be worth a Google for you, uh, but Otto, I look like uh, Otto Octavius currently from the Spider-Man series. Um, or maybe for some of our younger listeners in the audience, Vector from the Despicable Me franchise. Currently, that is that is the predicament that I'm currently dealing with on top of not having eaten Watching the Dodgers disaster last night. Uh, Thursday night football tonight, which is horrendous again. It's like we're back on track for Thursday night football. It's the Giants and the Patriots. I mean, just a horrendous game. Yes, the Giants are banged up beyond belief. Eli Manning has fallen off the face of the earth quite literally. No one's heard from him ever since uh, Daniel Jones has taken over. But who would have thought this would be a good game in the preseason. Like, they don't schedule these games a week before, two weeks out. They schedule them months in advance, and then they release the schedule, you know, a month and a half, two months before the season even starts. Who thought this was a good idea to put the Giants in Foxborough on a nationally televised game primetime against the Patriots, who are, this might be their best team ever that they've had. So it's only going to get worse um, for the remainder 
of Thursday, October 10th, 2019. Not a, it, it's just, it's not fun times right now. It's, it feels bad, man. I will tell you right now, it feels bad. We're not having fun. I'm just going to be honest. But the show goes on. We have to keep marching forward, and that's life. That sometimes it's, it's, just, it's just one of those days. It really is. It's just one of those days, and we're going we're gonna to soldier on. But first, before things get better, they're going to get worse because we're going to talk about the Dodgers. We're going to. We have to. I kind of want to. I actually kind of want to talk about what went down last night and over the course of a week. Because the series just started one week today, uh, last week. It was one week ago today that the series started. And what a different mood it was for the Crowd Noise podcast, I must say. Uh, If you have not heard yet, which I'm sure you have, but you just want to drag this out of me. So I'm going to say it anyway. The Dodgers lose Game 5. They lose the series to the Washington Nationals 3-2. They lose last night. What was the score last night? 7-3. That's right, 7-3. The series is over. The Dodgers are out of the playoffs. It's over. They're done. Um, Joe Kelly gives up a grand slam to Howie Kendrick. All credit in the world to Howie Kendrick. Had a very rough series defensively specifically. He had a terrible defensive series, did Howie Kendrick. He had an error last night, um, actually. He, he did not play well at all um, defensively. And lo and behold, he's the hero. He's the one that pulls the Nats ahead in the series or ahead in the score, wins the series, it, it's over. Howie Kendrick was the final exclamation mark in that series. And good for him. He, he got a, actually a pretty good pitch to hit, I felt. Um, he didn't miss it, went dead center, Ball game, series. That's it, period. And there's a lot of fallout. Obviously, the Dodgers uh, were the most wins of any team in baseball history to ever lose in the first round of the playoffs. Clayton Kershaw comes in with a three-run, excuse me, a 3-2-1 lead in, I believe it was the sixth inning, two outs in the sixth going into the seventh. He strikes out Adam Eaton, gets out of the sixth inning, And then he gives up two solo shots to Anthony Rendon and Juan Soto on back-to-back pitches, tying the game, gets yanked, and it was all downhill from there. And it kind of felt like after that, the Dodgers really weren't going to rebound after a gut punch like like that, and they didn't, and the series is over. And I just want to say this, you know, there's, of course, there's going to be fallout. You're the number one team in the NL and the number two overall seed in, in baseball, period, and you lose in the first round. There's going to be some consequences, and there's going to be questions. What the hell happened? What happened? And what will happen now? And I'm going to try to address all of that in one go. I'm just going to tell you this, like a band-aid. We're going to get it off quick. We're going to start off with this. We're going to do it, get it out of the way right away because it has to be said. And the longer you drag this out, the more painful it's going to be. So I'm just going to say it now. It's over. It's it's over. The Dodgers dynasty, quote-unquote dynasty with no World Series title, it's finished. The window is closed. You're not going to see the Dodgers in this context ever again. Will they make the playoffs again maybe next year, two years from now? Sure. Sure. Um, as a wild card, probably. 
Um, but as far as World Series contenders, best team in baseball, they're done. They're finished. They're, they're not coming back. We're not going to hear it from, from them again for perhaps a very long time. They are done. You don't win your division seven straight seasons in a row. Walk away with zero World Series titles and expect to just come back the next season and say, well, eighth time's the charm. We'll get them next year. They're actually getting further from their goal. 2017, they lose game seven in the World Series. You think, okay, they're one game away. They're four runs away. Technically five runs away because they were down four in that game seven to the Astros. They're five, five runs away from being World Series champs. They come back the next year, 2018, last season. Get to the World Series and then lose in five games. They get dealt a gentleman's sweep. Then you think, well, third time's the charm. They're bringing up all these prospects. They have Verdugo, Bueller's uh, another year more experienced. You bring up Gavin Lux. Hunjin Ryu is the ERA champ, potentially uh, Cy Young winner. Cody Bellinger playing like an MVP. This is the year. And you lose in the first round. And you want to know what all three of those series have in common? All three series were decided in Chavez Ravine in Dodger Stadium. They're finished. The Dodgers are done. They're not coming back again. I don't care if you have Walker Bueller, and Walker Bueller is a stud, a bona fide ace, going six and two thirds last night, uh, uh, scoreless, excuse me, one run innings. He had a shutout going, then he gave up a run. He rebounded, uh, put some traffic on. That's when Clayton Kershaw came in the game, and it was just a runaway train from there. But Walker Bueller, phenomenal. Phenomenal last night, and in game one of the series as well. Spectacular. You can't win divisions and World Series based off one starting pitcher. And he is a stud, but I don't think he's going to carry that franchise. What about Cody Bellinger? He's the MVP, right? He's going to be coming back next year. Let me tell you about Cody Bellinger. He had two sits, two hits, excuse me, in that postseason series. And both of them came in one game. Last night he had a hit, but it was an error off of, ironically, Howie Kendrick was not a base hit. He had two hits this series, and they were both in one game. He's not a postseason producer. We've seen that. I mean, hellacious in the 2017 World Series. But he was a rookie, that's right. He was a rookie, and then last year in the World Series, he was arguably worse than the year before. And then this year, Mr. MVP himself had two hits over the course of five games. Max Muncy had three home runs over the course of five games Corey Seager another young stud right the Dodgers are just loaded with young talent 0 for 8 in the series with runners in scoring position but what about the free agents they signed this year Joe Kelly and AJ Pollock oh AJ Pollock the same AJ Pollock that went 0 for 12 in the series with 10 strikeouts there are only two times in the series that AJ Pollock did not strike out including last night pinch hitting when he struck out I believe four pitches if that, I think it was a three-pitch strikeout sequence for A.J. Pollock. He really put up a good fight, though. Um, the Dodgers are done. Yes, they have young talent, such as Bueller, Bellinger, Seager. And two out of those three are just allergic to performing in the postseason, including Gavin Lux, who was benched 
he's a rookie. He was just called up this year, made his MLB debut. And you're telling me he's on the postseason roster? Starting games? Are you kidding me? And we'll get into those managerial decisions in just a moment. You have young guys, young pitchers like Julio Urias, Dustin May, Tony Gonsolin. And yet they were kind of unheard of this series. Tony Gonsolin wasn't even on the roster. Dustin May was in the series. Pitched well. Dustin May pitched all right. I will give him that. Julio Arias pitched okay. But are they franchise cornerstones? Are they pitchers that can carry the Dodgers to another and what would be an eighth straight division title going to uh, another World Series? Your third, it would be in four years. To suggest that the Dodgers are going to be just as fine going into next season and that they should be considered World Series uh, contenders is just arrogant. And that's coming from me. That is flat out arrogant to expect an eighth straight division title and expect them to get to the World Series, especially come after coming from last night. Last night is the kind of game that is a gut punch to an organization. This is how franchises and dynasties die. You're up 3-0 at home in an elimination game, a decisive game in the series, a game five or a game seven. And you give up seven straight runs. They lost the game 7-3 and they were up 3-0. And to give up the seven runs in such grand fashion, pun fully intended, uh, Joe Kelly comes into the game, pitches a, a spotless ninth inning. He was phenomenal in the ninth inning. I will give him that, and I will give Dave Roberts that. Joe Kelly, I did not hate the decision for him to come back into the game. I didn't, because he was pitching phenomenally, and he was, he was incredibly sharp in that ninth inning. He loads the bases intentionally. Um, he, puts two, he puts two runners on to start the inning. He then walks Juan Soto to load the bases for Howie Kendrick with no outs. And Dave Roberts said after the game he felt more comfortable uh, facing Howie Kendrick with the bases loaded with Joe Kelly rather than two on, nobody out, um, Juan Soto against uh, Adam Kalerik, who was up and was ready in the bullpen. Adam Kalerik has been the designated Juan Soto pitcher. He's only faced one guy all series, and he's won the battle all times. And Dave Roberts said he felt more comfortable with Joe Kelly getting a ground ball and potentially trading uh, one run for two outs. Maybe you get lucky, you get a pop fly in foul territory, and then get a ground ball and you get, you get out of the inning unscathed. That was his thinking. I will defend Dave Roberts on that decision because Joe Kelly, or I will defend him in sending Joe Kelly out for the 10th inning because he was remarkably sharp that ninth inning. He was, I mean, the ball was coming out of his hands. He was electric. They couldn't touch him in that ninth inning. Where I blame Dave Roberts, and this is where the repercussions of this of last night's game really start to come into effect, is bringing Clayton Kershaw in in relief out of the bullpen. There is absolutely no logical reasoning for bringing Clayton Kershaw into the game. Mind you, when he was brought into the game, there were two runners on. He was brought in to relieve Walker Bueller. He didn't even come into the game with a fresh, a clean inning. He brought him into the game with traffic, already setting him up to fail. 
He strikes out Adam Eaton, and it starts to look like, okay, maybe, you know, maybe he's going to get away with this. And then in the seventh inning, it all goes to hell in the blink of an eye. And I just want to say to Dave Roberts, I'm not calling him out specifically, but I just want to say about Dave Roberts, this was, this was a career-ending decision for Dave Roberts. Maybe I'm not to say he will never manage again, but he cannot manage for the Los Angeles Dodgers after last night. I think what Dave Roberts' thinking was during that game, he saw Evaldi from Boston come out of the pen and dominate the Dodgers, a starter being used as a reliever last year. He saw Scherzer and Strasburg and Corbin all come out of the bullpen this postseason for the Washington Nationals, and it had, for the most part, good results. The only time it didn't work is when Patrick Corbin came in for the first time. That was, a, that was the only time it did not work for the Nationals. So Dave Roberts said, well, it worked for them. I guess I should be trying that too. It probably worked for me. It, 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 it wouldn't. It wasn't going to work. It was never going to work, and it didn't. The only time, and in Clayton Kershaw's career, I will give him this much, he's actually effective out of the bullpen. You may recall a few years ago against the Washington Nationals, actually, uh, in a game five, comes out of the bullpen and he gets the save for the Dodgers. I believe he pitched two or three innings to get a save um, in Washington. Kenley Jansen did the middle relieving and then Clayton Kershaw carried them, carried them the rest of the way. In the game seven uh, in the World Series against the Astros, he comes in relief. A U Darvish doesn't give up a single run. The Dodgers, unfortunately, their offense never got going, but Clayton Kershaw kept the lead where it was when he entered the game, did not give up a run. Um, but you're putting him in with runners on, runners in scoring position, and then you ask him to, what was the, what was the thinking? You wanted him to pitch one inning? You bring in a starter in the postseason when you need multiple innings, when your original starter doesn't have it and it gets away from them in the first, second, or third inning, and you need someone to carry you into the 5th, 6th, or maybe even 7th inning. You don't bring in a starter for the 6th or the 7th inning, specifically with runners in scoring position, specifically Clayton Kershaw now. I'm not going to go full playoff Kershaw is back. He choked this, that, the other. Clayton Kershaw now at this stage of his career is a slow starter. Even the game he pitched when he started against the Nationals, what was the score? How many runs did he give up and in how many innings? He gave up three in two innings. He gave up three runs in the first two innings, and after that, into the sixth inning, he did not allow another run afterwards. He takes a little while to get warmed up, does Clayton Kershaw. So your logic was to throw him into the game as a reliever, facing the heart of the order, Eaton, Rendon, and Soto, and expecting him to get three outs. Now, you may be saying, well, you don't even expect three outs from Clayton Kershaw. Being a reliever and being a starter are two totally different animals. Why now, all of a sudden, Dave Roberts himself, Mr. Yank pitchers way too early, I will recall uh, Rich Hill, Game 2 of the 2017 World Series against the Houston Astros, a game that they lost, took out Rich Hill, or what many felt was too early. Uh, going back last year of Rich Hill again, Game 3, of the 2018 World Series against Boston, or excuse me, Game 4, pardon me, Game 4 of the 2018 World Series, Rich Hill has a one-hit shutout going. He walks a batter, 
Dave Roberts yanks him, and the Dodgers lose that game. They were currently up, or at the time, they were up 4 to nothing, And Rich Hill had a one-hit shutout going. So you're a guy that likes to lean on your bullpen. Fine. It hasn't worked for you in the past, but that's your MO. You like to go to the bullpen. And now, lo and behold, all of a sudden, in the year 2019, Dave Roberts cannot rely on his bullpen to get him three outs in the seventh or one out in the sixth. And then, lo and behold, suddenly, Kenta Maeda enters the game. He throws two shutout innings in the seventh and the eighth. Wow. The reliever comes in and dominates the Nationals lineup. Who would have thought? But you throw Clayton Kershaw out there just because, because that's what a lot of other managers were doing. We might as well try it ourselves. And it didn't work. And no, he didn't give up the lead. Well, he did give up the lead, but he did not exit the game down. They tied the game, but the game was over. The Nationals had all the momentum in the world. The air was sucked out of Dodger Stadium. The game was over. And after that, even still, you had a chance to win. Joe Kelly locks it down in the ninth inning. You send him back out there in the tenth. A decision I tend to agree with, actually, because he was so sharp in the ninth. And it just it, it, it fell apart. He faces that, that gaudy middle of the order that the Nationals used to torch Clayton Kershaw, Eaton, Rendon, and Soto. You try to work around them, and then Kendrick torches you for a grand slam. We'll see you next spring. Dave Roberts needs to be fired and sued for malpractice because it's not just last night. It's not just one game. We're still talking about one game here. It's not just what he's done in this series. It's what he's done over the course of his tenure as the Dodgers manager. He needs to be fired and sued for malpractice. And I don't want to hear the stats about Dave Roberts. He's the most wins by a manager in his first however many seasons. Look at his record. Look what he's done in the postseason. How much of that is Dave Roberts? And how much of that is the Dodgers roster? The Dodgers have great players. They do. They've had great players. And yet they've come away. They have seven straight division titles. And they have zero World Series to show for it. None. You're telling me all of those are on Clayton Kershaw? All of those are on Kenley Jansen, Justin Turner? Or were they just put in unfavorable matchups and situations? Kind of like being entered into the sixth inning with two runners on and then asked to go another inning in the seventh. Not a great plan. And like I said at the beginning of the show, the Dodgers are done. And now you may be thinking I'm overreacting because the Dodgers have a bunch of young talent. And they're the Dodgers and they're so well run. Yeah, they have young talent. But a lot of times, especially in baseball, the veterans are what win World Series. It's players who have been around the block a few times. And let's look at the Dodgers veterans here. You have aging Clayton Kershaw, who now has taken maybe the worst, unfortunately, the worst loss in his postseason career in Clayton Kershaw's postseason career. He's had his blunders. He's had his duds in the postseason, and this might be the heaviest of all. This might be the toughest pill to swallow for Clayton Kershaw. You have aging Kenley Jansen, who statistically had the worst season of his career. You have aging Justin Turner. I believe he will be 35 going into next season. You have aging David Freeze, who 
We don't know if he will even be back on the Dodgers next season. You have aging Rich Hill, who is 70 years old and had an injury-plagued season this year. That's the backbone of your team. And they're all aging and, quite frankly, deteriorating. Justin Turner had a pretty good series. I will give him that. But how how long can you keep it going? It's been seven years now. It's been seven years. You haven't gotten one. You're telling me you're going to keep going into 2020? Into the 2020s decade? And we're supposed to expect World Series titles from now until 2026 and beyond? Yes, you have Bueller and you have Bellinger. The only, the only bright spot of this organization is Walker Bueller. He's the one thing that you can look me in the eye and say, that's what we have going forward. When you can hang your hat on. Cody Bellinger's probably going to win the MVP. He's atrocious in the postseason. He's terrible. He cannot hit. Corey Seager is a phenomenal defender. He cannot touch the ball in the postseason. I can't count on my hands how many times he struck out during this series. And you see here, 0 for 8 with runners in scoring position. That's just with runners on. That's not counting every at-bat he's had during this season. Or series, excuse me. And you look at teams like the Padres, just in your division, you look at the teams like the Padres, who were actually for a while threatening to make it a run at the wild card, who have Fernando Tatis Jr., who missed months with injury. If you haven't heard the name for Fernando Tatis Jr., you're not paying attention. He is a star. They have Manny Machado. And don't fool yourself. Manny Machado had a very good season in San Diego this year. They have a phenomenal young starting pitcher in San Diego by the name of Chris Paddock. Very good pitcher. You look at the Giants, who were terrible last year, last um, this year and last year included. They hired Farhan Zaidi, who was the one who constructed this current Dodgers roster. That's who they tasked with fixing their roster. The Giants are going to be back. The Rockies signed Nolan Arenado. They're not going anywhere. He's quite possibly the, third, the greatest third baseman who has ever lived. They're not going anywhere. Let's look at the rest of the NL. You have guys like the Cardinals, teams like the Cardinals who are loaded with young starting pitching. Superstar in Paul Goldschmidt. Superstar in Marcelo Zuna. Oh, they're in the NLCS right now. We're not waiting for the Cardinals. They're here. You have young teams like the Braves with Acuna and Albies. They're not going anywhere. You have Freddie Freeman on that team as well. You look over across the league. The Yankees have a bunch of young talent. Gleyber Torres, Gio Urshela, Luis Severino, Aaron Judge, who is all, they're all homegrown. They're not going anywhere. The Astros, we don't even need to begin to talk about their, their drafting abilities and what they've done, how they've assembled their team. Correa, Springer, Altuve, Bregman, Gurriel, Jordan Alvarez, who, by the way, was in the Dodgers organization. The Dodgers are finished. They're done. The only way they can kind of salvage what they've done last night, that was a gut punch to an organization. They're finished. We're not gonna be, the Dodgers will make the postseason potentially. Yeah, they're not going to fall off a cliff. They might make the wild card. They might. But going forward, I like the Padres in that division. I do. The only way they can salvage what they've done is by firing Dave Roberts. And that might, it might be too late. 
it might honestly have been too late. The window was closed. You don't get eight chances in a row to win a World Series. You, it, it doesn't happen. There's a reason why it's so special what the Dodgers have done winning the NL West so many times because it doesn't happen ever. It doesn't happen. And they've squandered their opportunity seven times. And I don't think they're getting another one. I think the Dodgers are finished. Let's talk about something else now. Let's get off of that. Let's go ahead and do our picks uh, now in the middle of the show. Usually we start off the show with our college picks and our, our NFL picks. Not today. We ha- I had to get through that. I had, I had to get through that. That's, that's huge news. That is huge news. The Dodgers imploding in Game 5. And like I said, I think that's a gut punch to an organization. I think this is the beginning of the end for the Los Angeles Dodgers. Now, enough of that. I've already had a rough day. I've had a hellacious 24 hours. It has not been fun to be me for about a day and a half. So let's try and turn it around. Let's think about something else. College football. We had another winning week last week. We had another 3-0, ladies and gentlemen. That brings us to a nine-game win streak in college football. We had Iowa and Michigan. Did take Michigan, though they're not very good, but I felt Michigan had to have this game. And they almost lost it. I don't even know if you can say so much that Michigan won or Iowa lost the game. But they won, so, I mean, we'll, we'll take it. Uh, Florida and Auburn. We had Florida in that game. Florida at home. A little bit too much for uh, the Auburn Tigers. And, you know, Florida walks away with a win. We'll take that 10 times out of 10. And then Ohio State and Michigan State. That one is probably one of the, the easier ones. Ohio State won that game comfortably, so we'll we'll take that one. OHIO. So now we go into this week, and it might be an, it might be a tough one. I said that last weekend it could be a tough one, and we went three and zero, and that brings our our um, record this season to fifteen and three. We are now fifteen and three on the year. Fantastic. I mean, we're a nine game win streak. What more could you possibly ask for? We're on fire right now. We're gonna try and keep it going into this week, and we have some. It's a great week for college football. I will say that there, there's fantastic games in college football uh, this week. Games that aren't even being picked by the Crowd Noise podcasters. Uh, Notre Dame, USC, I believe, Alabama, and Texas A&M. There's some really good games this week, not even um, included in, in our, uh, our three game games that we pick here. So let's go ahead and get right into it. I don't even know which one to lead off with. I think I'm going to start with the quote-unquote the least exciting of the three, number 10, Penn State, and number 17, Iowa. Now, Iowa's a very good team. Uh, I like them. I like the Big Ten a lot. It's one of the consistently deeper conferences in college football. I've said that many times. Penn State is maybe one of the bigger surprises in the nation this year. They're number 10 in the country. They are undefeated, and they, they look very good. They look like they could legitimately... They are probably the team that is most likely to challenge Ohio State. And that kind of includes Wisconsin. Because after Wisconsin dominated Michigan, they've struggled a little bit. And you kind of wonder, well, they dominated Michigan, but how good is Michigan, really? So I would put, I would give Penn State the slight and the ever so slight edge over um, Wisconsin currently as far as the next team under Ohio State. They get Iowa this week. Uh, Iowa lost to Michigan, who is not a very good team. Penn State is a very good team. I will take Penn State on the road this week um, in Iowa. Now, next one. Take your pick here, because both of these games are, I think, 
their playoff defining games. And one of them has a wider margin is in terms of the rankings. And yet I feel like it's the more competitive game. I feel like that's actually the tougher game to pick. So we're going to start. We're going to do the closer one first, which I think is actually easier to pick than the other one. And that is number five, LSU, and number seven, Florida. Now, Florida is in the middle of what is the toughest four-game stretch in all of college football currently. They played Auburn last week, then they get LSU this week, then it's South Carolina, and then I believe they play Georgia after that. It's a tough four-game stretch. They, they will not go undefeated for four straight weeks over the course of those four games. They beat Auburn last week, and we picked them to win. I felt like they could... They were a little bit too much for Auburn and, and, and true freshman Bo Nix, which they were. But now they run into what is the highest scoring offense in all of college football. No, it is not the Oklahoma Sooners. It is the Louisiana State University Tigers. LSU is the highest scoring team in the country this year. It's not a Big 12 school. It's not a Pac-12 school. It's an SEC school. And LSU just looks, quite frankly, like a runaway train I think they're going to be way too. They're going to ha, they're going to score points. Florida's going to have to score points with LSU. I don't know how capable of that they will be. Joe Burrow. I know I say it every. I, I pick a new Heisman favorite every single week. It seems like, but Joe Burrow and I'm, they're probably going to, I'm probably going to jinx him this week by saying this. He's he's now the front runner to win the Heisman in my opinion. He, uh, Joe Burrow, Justin Fields, and we'll throw in Jonathan Taylor as well because he has the stats. Um, to back it up, I would say those are the three guys. Those are the, the, the three guys that are, that are going to be in New York by the end of the season waiting to hear their name announced for the Heisman Trophy. I think those are the three guys for um, the Heisman running. I think those are the three guys, Joe Burrow included. included. I think he's going to be the difference uh, on Saturday. I like LSU against Florida. They are actually at home. They're in Baton Rouge. That's just icing on the cake for me. I'll take LSU at home. And then finally, the game that is a wider margin as far as the rankings, but I feel a tougher game to choose or to pick rather. Number six, Oklahoma and number 11, Texas in the Red River rivalry. Cannot wait. One of my favorite games in all of college football. I think it's the early game. I believe it's noon Eastern. So you got to wake up a little bit early to watch this game. And you should, because it is a, it's a premier game, not just this week, but of all uh, this entire season. So, why is this so hard to pick? I started off the season incredibly high on UT and the Longhorns. Picked them to get to the playoff. And they disappointed me because they lost to LSU. Now, at the time, it looked like they were done. They're not, they're not getting back into the conversation. But, as dominant as LSU has been, and Texas on the scoreboard, they were dominated that game. Like They, they lost that game. It really wasn't close. But they, were kept, they kept it competitive. The scoreboard was the final score. I think LSU won by a touchdown. It was a wider margin than that. But Texas hung around enough. They weren't utterly embarrassed. But they were beaten. Like It was clear that LSU was the better team that night. But as dominant as LSU has been, maybe Texas is actually pretty good. Because LSU could probably beat a lot of teams right now. So it makes you wonder, how close is this game between Texas and and LSU. Oklahoma has really not played anybody. Texas has played LSU. They have at least one resume game on their schedule, which they lost, but it is a um, much more than worthy opponent in LSU. I'm actually going to go with Oklahoma. Surprise, 
which may be a surprise to many. Not a huge fan of Jalen Hurts. I think a lot of it is on Lincoln Riley creating schemes and offenses that is designed to help quarterbacks thrive. Baker Mayfield, Kyler Murray, and now Jalen Hurts. I think the worst passer of the three. But Jalen Hurts has thrived in Oklahoma. Can't say anything negative about him. He's been phenomenal this season. And he may be another uh, entry into the Heisman race that I, I, I just forget about. Because I, I, me personally, I, I would rather go with Burrow, um, Justin Fields, and Jonathan Taylor. I'm sure, isn't it like five finalists? So Jalen Hurts would be there uh, as well. I think it's going to be Lincoln Riley enabling Jalen Hurts for this game. Joe Burrow torched Texas, as he does with many teams currently this season. But I feel like there is... There is room to operate within the Texas defense. It's not the strongest defense they've ever had. And Sam Mellinger is a competitor. But will he be able to keep up and score with Oklahoma? Uh, I'm not so sure. They're actually very similar to Sam Mellinger and Jalen Hurts. I feel like they're both stronger runners than throwers. But they are phenomenal ringleaders. They're great presences in the locker room and in the huddle. And they're great game man. I hate to use the word game managers, but... I, I don't mean that as, as an archetype. I mean that as a skill. Like, they are very collected in late-game situations. They can throw the ball downfield. They're not entirely game managers, but they have the ability to manage games. Um, but I'm going to give the slight edge to Jalen Hurts because he has Lincoln Riley and because he's done it consistently this season. Has not played anyone as good as Texas so far, but it is on a neutral field. Um, and I just think Oklahoma may be the deeper team currently than the Texas Longhorns. I'm actually going to take the Sooners in the Red River game. So there are your college picks. A nine-game win streak on the line this week. We're looking to make it 12, looking to get to 18-3 and three on the season. Now on to the NFL. And we have had a very tough stretch uh, picking NFL games. We are now, we went 1-2 and two last week, and we are currently 6 and nine. It's not nice. Six and nine on the season picking games. We got to turn things. It's just one of those years we really struggled picking NFL games this year. But conversely, in college, we're on fire. You see, we're 15 and three. We're on a nine game win streak. So it's not like I'm a bad picker. I'm just struggling with the NFL specifically. So I I don't feel as bad as maybe I would have if, um, you know, I was struggling in college as well. Then I'd feel kind of bad because I'm like, well, I'm terrible. But no, I'm just actually not good at the NFL. This season, I mean, I, I feel like I have the skills to pay the bills, just not, they're, they're kind of out of operation. We're trying to get them back online. I'm trying my hardest to get the skills that pay the bills back online picking games in the NFL specifically. Last week, let's look what we had. We had the Rams and the Seahawks to pick the Rams to win. They did not. Uh, Russell Wilson putting together an MVP caliber season. He's phenomenal. I uh, love Russell Wilson. Can't even get mad at that. Then we have the Packers and the Cowboys. I can get mad at that. And ironically, on Sunday afternoon, evening-ish, after the Cowboys were embarrassed at home, I was thinking, well, I have a segment on Thursday about, you know, the Cowboys, how they've struggled, and, you know, the first two real teams that they faced, they lost. And then the Dodgers happened. I said, well, I can't have two stories about burying two franchises, so I'll pick the fresher one and the quite frankly the one that's a little bit more drastic because the Cowboys still had plenty of time to turn things around. I mean, they're still in the regular season. It's only week six. The Dodgers are out of the playoffs, so I, that was the much more captivating story I felt. So the Cowboys were embarrassed to pick them to win. When will I learn Aaron Rodgers in AT&T is Dan Marino 
anywhere. Um, then we had the Browns and the 49ers. Picked the 49ers to win. They're undefeated. Love that team a lot. Defensive team, but has the ability to score the ball. They're not like last year's Chicago Bears, where you were wondering, you know, if you got a defense that was good enough to stop Mitchell Trubisky, you probably win that game because Chicago didn't really have a very good offense, and they, quite frankly, don't have a very good offense this year. But the 49ers can't score the ball. Jimmy G is not the reason they're winning these games. Not being a hater, but they're winning because of defense. I think it's fair to say the 49ers' defense is the bread and butter of that team. They shut down and actually embarrassed uh, the Browns on Monday. And I, was, and I was actually thinking about doing the handshake gate too. But again, last night happened. That, that shook up the whole show. So, I mean, in, in a good way. So we go into week six. We're trying to turn it around. And we get pretty pickable games. We, get ma- we have a manageable schedule this week. I feel, and I'm probably going to go 0 for 3 for saying that, but I feel pretty confident about my picks this week. I really do. Um, tonight, as if, as if this day and these 24 hours could not have gotten any worse, we have Thursday night football. And oh, by the way, it's the Giants who are terrible, who are missing half of their offensive starters against the New England Patriots and quite frankly, what is the best defense that Bill Belichick maybe has ever had in his time in New England. They're, this is the best Patriots team that they've ever had. They're ridiculous. I mean, they're undefeated. They could go undefeated this season. They could go 16-0. And if you told me now, if Steven from the future came back and said they're going 19-0, they're winning the Super Bowl, I, I wouldn't bat an eyelash. I, re- I wouldn't be shocked at that statement. The way they're rolling right now. And the way their schedule is built... Also, they have, they're in the middle of what is a cupcake schedule, to say the least. I mean, they get the Giants tonight at home with Daniel Jones, a rookie quarterback, without Saquon Barkley, without insert offensive starter name here. I mean, who thought whose idea was it to put this game on Thursday night? This is the game you put regionally at 11 in the morning. This is the early game, the get-it-out-of-the-way game. And it's on Thursday night. I'm taking the Patriots, and this is why I feel pretty confident heading into this week because we start off on a win. Let's just be honest. The Patriots are going to win this game. I don't even have to say if. I don't have to justify my pick. All I have to say is the word Patriots, and you should be good with that explanation, and I feel like you are. They're playing the Giants tonight. They're going to win. Um, and so the rest of the games, once you get the momentum rolling on Thursday night, usually it's a little bit easier to carry those wins into Sunday. So we're taking the Patriots tonight. Then we have the Eagles on the road against the Vikings. This is an interesting one. The Eagles have a horrendous secondary. Julio Jones and Devontae Adams have torched the Eagles' pass defense. I mean, they have ripped them to shreds. But the Vikings aren't very good at throwing the ball. However, Adam Thielen last week did have two touchdowns and I want almost like 200 yards or something like that. He had a career day, um, did Adam Thielen. It looks like they're starting to um, include the passing game more in Minnesota. Will that be more a part of the game plan? Because Philly is so inept at defending the pass. It's actually a good matchup for the Vikings at home, uh, but I think the Eagles will take away Dalvin Cook. Maybe not shut him down, but I think they'll limit him enough to where they're going to put the game on Kirk Cousins and they're actually going to dare him to beat 
their passing defense, which actually maybe even Kirk Cousins is capable of doing at, the, at this point because the Eagles passing defense is no good. But it may just be good enough. I'm actually taking the Eagles. I love the Eagles this year. I, picked, I think I've picked them to win almost every week they've been on the show. Um, I'm picking the Eagles this week against Minnesota. I think they get the job done. I think their defense is good enough to stop the Vikings' offense, which isn't spectacular. Dalvin Cook is phenomenal, but the whole the unit as a whole is not. It, it's not very frightening. And by the way, the Eagles are coming off of a monster a double-digit sack game last week. They have a lot of momentum on defense. I'll take the Eagles in this one. And then finally, this one may shock you. It may even horrify you. The 49ers are on the road in Los Angeles against the Rams in the Coliseum. 49ers just got pra- just got done praising their defense and saying how much I love them. Uh, Richard Sherman, handshake gate. I really don't hold anything against them. Uh, you know, Michael Jordan used to create false headlines in his head to get motivated against certain players. I, I, I don't, I, I'm not mad at Richard Sherman for this whatsoever. I don't hold anything against him. But I do think the Rams win this game. The Rams are a much different team at home. Now, they did get embarrassed at home against Tampa Bay. That was in the Coliseum. But I think that was a fluke. I think we're all comfortable saying Jameis Winston is not a 55-point-a-game 55, 55 guy. Are we okay with that? I, I'm okay with that. I'm okay saying Jameis Winston is not the 55-point offense man. Tampa Bay is good, but they're not. I mean, that was kind of a fluky game, I feel. Uh, the 49ers have a great defense. Robert Woods likely going to be shadowed by Richard Sherman all game long. But you do have guys like Gerald Everett, Cooper Cup, um, Brandon Cook still, and then you can't forget Todd Gurley. He's not the Todd Gurley of yore. Like, he's not the best running back in the league, but he is top 15, perhaps top 10 running back still in the game. But he's still a very good player. Um, I think, actually, the Rams' defense is not very good, so... Um, they're going to have to score because Jimmy G and the 49ers will be able to move the ball down the field on this Rams defense. It's not as impenetrable as it was last season, but I actually like the Rams in an upset this week. This is a pretty daring pick of mine. And I think, look, the Rams are undefeated. Excuse me, the 49ers are undefeated. They have not lost to start the year. It's not going to last forever. Like, eventually, they're going to have kind of an ugly game against a division opponent on the road. Like, they're going to... They're going to drop a few games where they just kind of don't show up. I think this might be the day. I think this might actually be the game where the 49ers kind of stumble a little bit and the Rams just capitalize just enough to win the game. I'll take the Rams against the 49ers in an upset. There are your week six picks in the NFL and then your week, I don't know, seven picks in uh, college football. Those are all Those are all your football picks in general. Now on to... The quote of the week. Let's close it out real strong with the quote of the week. Now, every episode or just about, let's say like 95%, even like 95, like 93%, that's still an A average. It's not every episode, but it's it's most of the episodes. And I'll I'll take that average. Like an, an A is an A. That, that's a great grade to have. So about 90% of our episodes we have at the end of the show. We have a segment called the quote of the week. And what we do is we find the best quote from the previous week and we put it at the end of the show and we call this segment the quote of the week. We like to get to the point around here. So we're going to go ahead and do that right now. Let's close this uh, show out incredibly strong. Quote, and this is a good one. We have a good one this week. Quote, 
If you guys follow the Patriots, tell them to call me. They still got to pay me, so they might as well let me earn it. Mr. Big Chest, a.k.a. Antonio Clown, a.k.a. Antonio Brown. Perhaps the dumbest man, not just in sports, but maybe the dumbest man living in North America currently. Well, maybe the second dumbest. <laughs> um, he, he got cut from the Patriots. Got cut from the Raiders. Actually got kicked out by the Steelers um, previously before getting cut by the Patriots. Played one game there. They just used them to, to beat the Miami Dolphins. So actually, maybe the Patriots aren't that good considering they just needed Antonio Brown to beat the Dolphins. Maybe the Patriots are a little overrated. I'm being sarcastic. I digress. He says on his Instagram live, so he's live streaming. For those of you old cats out there who don't know what a Instagram live is, we, we take care of everyone around here, not just Gen Z. Um, he was live streaming on his Instagram saying if you guys like it, like I'm just like there was someone in his live stream that was watching that has direct contact to Robert Kraft. Like there was actually somebody out there that has a direct line to Robert Kraft and Tom Brady. But he says, if anyone out there knows the Patriots personally, tell them to call me. Like, again, this is the most obnoxious and ignorant quote I think we've ever had. It kind of it kind of just tickles me a little bit. Tell them to call me. Tell the Patriots, they if they want me, they have to come to me first. I'm not going to them. They got to come talk to me if they want the services of Mr. Big Chest. Tell them to call me. They still have to pay me, which is technically true. Might as well as let me, might as well let me earn it. It's gotten to the point where Antonio Brown is starting to look into the mirror and has come to a realization. There is not an organization in the NFL, and the NFL in general, does not need Antonio Brown. No one needs this guy. He's not, he's a talented player. He's not Jerry Rice. Even Randy Moss, one of the most talented receivers ever, he got his act together. He's not nearly as talented as either of those two guys. And yet he has the nerve to say the team has to come to me. I think this is part of his brand, though. I think he's actually starting, the wheels are starting to turn in Antonio Brown's moronic brain. I think he's realizing there is no market for me. No one wants me on their team. So he makes this quote to get it on shows like this one in the quote of the week to get his name back into the news. He's desperate. He's looking for attention because he hasn't gotten any. Have you talked to, let me, let me ask you this. Did you even remember, did you even remember Antonio Brown since he was cut by the Patriots? I didn't, I had forgotten about Antonio Brown. The NFL goes on. People will find something else that's more interesting to talk about. The world does not revolve around Antonio Brown, contrary to what he may believe. And yet he has the nerve to say, if anyone knows the Patriots, like, let me just get on my speed dial, get Robert Kraft on the line. After he called out Robert Kraft specifically on Twitter, didn't subtweet him, didn't allude to Robert Kraft, specifically used the name Robert Kraft on Twitter and attacked him verbally. You expect him to pull you out of unemployment? Like how, there's almost a point where you got to say you cannot be this dumb. Like there's no person that could actually be this level. There's no one that can have this level of stupidity. And yet it's Antonio Brown. You think, well, 
maybe he's breaking barriers here. Maybe he's reaching new heights. Because this is just, I mean, the level of arrogance and stupidity in, in, in this quote is, is unbelievable. Even for someone like Antonio Brown. To think that they would cut you for sexual assault allegations. You call out the owner. You call out players active in the league. You call out retired players. And to think you can say, hey, I want to come back now. Just kidding. It's, it's a new level of Antonio Brown. And he's just, he's, he's just longing for attention. This really isn't news. And I just think it's hilarious. I think it's really funny, honestly. That he's kind of... It, it's a sickness for him. He has, to be in the, he has to be in the media. He has to be in the spotlight. And he will do just about anything to obtain that spotlight. I'm not giving the quote any kind of credit. Like I'm not putting it in the show because I think there's truth to this. Like the Patriots would actually even consider for half a second to re-sign him. But I'm putting it in the quote of the week because it's because he made the quote. He had the audacity to say something like this. And it's just it's 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 hilarious and it's sad at the same time. Because it's it, it's sad that it's just such a waste of talent in Antonio Brown. And it's hilarious because he thinks in his brain, I, I, he probably thinks like he does have a legitimate chance of playing in the league again. I think he's done. I don't think we'll ever see Antonio Brown playing in the NFL again. You might as well start working out and get into the XFL because that's about your best chance to play professional football again. The NFL has had enough of Antonio Brown. They don't need him, contrary to his beliefs. That is going to take us to the end of this week's episode. It has been a long stressful, disgruntled 24 hours for me. It has been. It's been, it's, it's been a struggle. But I feel like we had a pretty good show today. An efficient show, as we like to say. Um, great weekend of college football. We have Sunday NFL football. What more? I mean, always good stuff. And that playoff baseball, which will, will be on, and it'll make me cry probably. But, you know, I mean... It, that, that's life. You got to move on. And I feel like, you know, we got, I feel like I got a lot off, off, off my chest today talking about the, Dodge, the Dodgers. I will be honest. That was a little therapeutic for me. Not having the greatest day, I feel a lot better after that. Not great. I mean, I don't, I'm not going to throw a parade. I don't feel fantastic, but I do feel better. I still have a bad haircut, but I mean, that'll, that'll grow back. I mean, it, it could be worse. I could not have hair. I could be Scott Van Pelt. No disrespect to Scott Van Pelt. Love him. But I like having hair. I mean, I actually shouldn't have said that because I was kind of dis- disrespectful to Scott Van Pelt. Has a great show. But you get the point I'm trying to make. Like, it, things could be worse than what they are. They're bad, but it could be a lot worse. And no disrespect to Scott Van Pelt. Love him a lot. I, I shouldn't use that analogy. But, I mean, again, I got a bad haircut. It, it happens. That's life. It happens. Things happen in life. Hashtag analysis. So, enjoy the games this week. I will talk to you next week. I'm hoping to have a much better Wednesday evening, Thursday morning next week. And hopefully we'll have a much more fun and enthusiastic enthusiastic podcast next week because, not going to lie, I started off a little bit dreary today. And, you know, like I said, things were going to get worse before they got better. And I think, things got, I think things got a little bit better. I don't know. We'll see. I'll talk to you guys next week.